Good morning. We bring greetings to you in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. We're glad that we can gather together in his name. It's a privilege to be here again. Somehow, no matter where life's journeys take you, there's always a bit of a homing instinct that kicks in uh, in relation to where you grew up. And it's good to be here, good to be back with many old friends again, and uh, we look forward to a little more of that in the coming years, Lord willing, with the distances vastly reduced uh, between us and you. <clears throat> I'd like to begin with a story today. It's a, um, I'll call it a legend because I'm not sure that it's factual, but the story is told of a man who was traveling through an arid land, and he badly miscalculated how long it would take him to cross the distance that he was to travel. He was on foot, traveling, and he ran out of water. He was beginning to get desperate for water. He knew if he didn't have some water soon, he would perish. As he journeyed, he unexpectedly came upon an abandoned homestead out in the middle of this country. And by the old house, there was an old rusty pump. And he began to look to see if there's a way he could get water. Near the pump, he found a jug with a lid on it. And on the jug, it said, You must pour all of this water into the pump to prime it. Now he had a dilemma on his hands. There was water he could drink safely in the jug. But he also knew, based on the distance he still had to go, that it wouldn't be adequate but it would at least give some temporary relief if he were to drink that water. Or was he to place his faith in the words written by who knows who, who knows when, and pour that water into that pump and hope it would work? What would you do in a situation like that? As the story goes on, the man chose to put his faith In the words on the jug, he poured the water down the pump and then he began to take that handle up and down, up and down. For a little bit, nothing happened. Then a few drops of water came, then a trickle, and then a steady stream. And he drank all he wanted, he refilled his containers, and he was able to continue his journey. The title of the message today is Doubt or Faith. There's a a book out by the title Doubt and Faith. And it uh, somewhat promotes the idea that we can have both of those and succeed spiritually. Now there are elements of truth in the book. I read it some years ago and I I actually didn't base many thoughts on that. I didn't have a quote or two from there in in the message today. But uh, it's vital that we understand that. And I didn't know what your Sunday school lesson was to be about when when I was preparing this message. But I I trust that this will complement some of the things that uh, we've been looking at this morning. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. A few more things to to stir your thinking in relation to doubt or faith. I don't really have a text verse this morning. We'll be kind of uh, jumping around in the scriptures a little bit to pick up on various thoughts. And I 
frankly have some serious doubts about my ability to do justice to this subject, but I do have faith that God can at least give you some blessing in relation to it. Matthew 14, and I'd like to read from verses 22 to 33. And just prior to this, uh, Jesus had performed the miracle of feeding uh, the the 5,000. Verse 22, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Now who of the disciples demonstrated the most faith in this account? Peter. I think we'd all agree with that. That took some faith on Peter's part to step out of that boat and begin walking on the water. But was his faith adequate for the situation? Apparently not. But what saved him? Faith. Lord, save me, was another cry of faith. So we see that, yes, faith has degrees. And sometimes doubt can enter into our lives and defeat what faith would accomplish, but God still gives the opportunity to turn from that doubt and finally throw ourselves back upon him. Now, eventually that opportunity runs out, and we'll see that um, in another example a little bit later, Lord willing. I have another question for you to consider. Was the expression of verse 33 that the disciples made really an expression of faith? Some of these things get a little bit technical, but um, I'm not going to try to answer that question right now. I'm not sure that I have the right answer. But it's something for you to think about as we go through the message. Was there expression that truly this, this is the Son of God, of a truth thou art the Son of God, was that an expression of faith or was it simply expressing the facts that they had observed? I'd also like to for you to be aware of what the word doubt means as it's used here, where Jesus spoke to to Peter and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? The uh, Greek word that's translated doubt has several meanings. It means duplicate, 
or duplicate or to waver between. Waver between carries a, a very exact uh, definition of what was going on in Peter's life here. As Peter recognized the Lord and recognized him walking on the water, he was able to have faith and step out. But it says, when he saw the storm, then he began to be afraid. So he wavered between. He was looking to Jesus, yes, but at the same time he was looking at the circumstances and the circumstances finally controlled his thinking rather than his look to Jesus Christ. And that's an essential thing for us to remember. Doubt is wavering. Doubt is a place where we are not solid in our, in our belief that God is adequate for the situation that we find ourselves in. Or that God's commands fit the situation that we find ourselves in. Or whatever other applications you may think of there. All right, let's go to John chapter 20. I'd like to look at another case of doubt there. John chapter 20, starting at verse 25 and reading through verse 29. And this is the other disciples addressing Thomas. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, reach, thither thy, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. All right, we have another case of someone who had doubts here. Doubt gets in the way of faith. Thomas did not have faith that Jesus rose from the dead because he had doubts that this was true, the account that the other disciples had given him and others who had seen Jesus. He had doubts that this was true. There was a certain amount of uncertainty in his mind and he said, you know, I'm going to have to have proof. This isn't something that happens ordinarily. It just doesn't work this way. And so I'm going to have to see the prince in his hand And I'm going to have to see that wound in his side. I'm going to have to literally touch them before I'll believe that this is Jesus risen from the dead. Not an unreasonable, from a human perspective, not an unreasonable uh, position to take. But it got in the way of faith. He could not recognize Jesus for who he was in that condition. And Jesus in mercy showed himself to Thomas and said, Here, touch me. Here's the proof. And don't be faithless, but believing. Again, it becomes evident that we cannot live in doubt and at the same time move forward in faith. If Peter couldn't, if Thomas couldn't, neither can we. Doubt gets in the way of faith. 
One author had this to say. It's a, a statement for us to evaluate. Doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps as it is a razor's edge that runs through every soul. On the basis of scripture, I would beg to differ with him to some degree. Now, there's a measure of truth in that. All of us find the line between faith and doubt going through our hearts, and we have to make a choice between the two. And we will face situations in life in an ongoing way as we journey through life that call for us to make a decision between doubt and faith. When the uncertainties of life present themselves, the opportunity is there for us to doubt. And we may indeed struggle not to doubt. We may indeed struggle to have faith. And I don't believe it's wrong to have a struggle in relation to that. But ultimately the choice must come down to believing that God is who He says He is and that God's Word is true and that God's directions to us apply to every situation in life. And so if we find ourselves a Thomas all the time where we have to have proof Before we believe, we're just not going to get very far. But thankfully, Thomas became a very active apostle in spreading the word of God. I believe it was him that went as far as India in spreading the word of God. So faith overcame his doubt. God in his mercy understands that we are weak. He understands we're frail. He understands that we're dust and that the things of of life, the things of eternity look very daunting to us at times. That the uncertainties that we sometimes face in life are rather overwhelming to our minds. And God in His mercy deals with with us in relation to those doubts. And we can be thankful for that. But at the same time, we, we can't stay there. We can't live there and expect to move forward with God. Ultimately, doubt must be forsaken and we must move forward with God And ultimately, doubt or faith determines which camp we are in. Determines Our choice between the two determines which camp we are in. Doubt and unbelief are partners. It's evident here in the, the wording that Jesus gave to this. He said, be not faithless, but believing. Don't keep doubting, because if you doubt, you don't have faith. If you don't have faith, you don't believe. And if we don't have faith, and if we don't believe, we can't go forward with the Lord. And so, the choice ultimately becomes one that we must, must, must make. And that choice is not made one that is made due to certain mental calculations that, ultimately, this is going to turn out right The choice of faith is ultimately made in our hearts. It's a choice that we must make deep down inside that, yes, I can't comprehend all of who God is. I can't comprehend all the wisdom of His directions to me. But I choose from my heart to commit myself to Him and walk forward in faith and not remain in doubt. We need to remember that uncertain circumstances present us with the choice of doubt or faith. And like Peter, it won't do us any good to get out of the boat, so to speak, and try walking on the water if we're living in doubt. We have to have faith so that we can step out and we can keep going. 
If, if we allow doubt to take, overtake us, then we will begin to sink in the circumstances of life. And it's only by the mercy of the Lord that we can be saved. Ultimately, between faith and doubt, it's an either-or situation. It's not a both-and. I can have both doubt and faith dwelling in my heart, in my mind, in my life at the same time and move forward with God. I'd like to explore some things in relation to the uncertainties that we face in life. A measure of uncertainty is healthy for us. Now, we had some discussion in the men's Sunday school class about how nice it is when we can more or less coast and so on. But that's, friends, nice as it is, is not a very faith-strengthening experience in the long, in the long run. Uh, we won't get very strong in our walk with the Lord if we don't face times of uncertainty. And we see that Jesus took his disciples through things that stretched their faith, through things that you know didn't look like they would work out. And God calls us to the same thing. When circumstances don't leave any room for, for doubt, then there's no need of faith. When something is solid, when something is certain, when you know something is a certain way, you know, the facts have been laid out, the evidence is there, it's proven, that doesn't take faith anymore. But God calls us to walk with him by faith. Let me give you a, a little bit of an object lesson to uh, just demonstrate this point, that when something is proven, we don't, we don't need faith. Let me get my keys out of the way here. Okay. I have some things in my hand here. Um, Let's say I have a dollar bill and I have a pack of Smarties and I have a quarter, a nickel, and two pennies. How many of you have faith that that's in my hand? I need evidence. You need evidence, okay. <laughs> All right, I say I, I... I say I do. Based on... What little of you know, you know of me, I mean, I've been going here for a while. But how many of you now have faith that I have those things in my hand? Okay, a few more of you. I don't blame you for being doubtful. It's kind of an unlikely combination. All right? I do. A dollar bill, a pack of Smarties, a quarter nickel, and two pennies. I thought about inviting someone to exercise their faith and come, out, come up and get that, but I wasn't sure I'd have any takers. All right, you had doubts, reasonable doubts about that when I first mentioned those items. But now that you've seen the evidence, the doubt is removed. It was there. You could see it. Now that's how it, the way it works in God's economy as well. There are times when he says, I have things in my hand. I have this situation under control or I have the grace for you for this situation or I have 
the res- whatever other resources that will see you through this given situation. And we're, we're like, really? You know, from our standpoint, it doesn't look reasonable. It doesn't look like anybody has this situation in control. It doesn't look like there's grace adequate to take me through this difficult trial or whatever it might be. But when God says it's there, believe me, friends, it's a whole lot more certain than if I say it's there. I used this illustration some time ago and uh, with all good intentions came up a little short, left, left one coin in my pocket. You know, humanly, we come short sometimes, but God never comes short. We need to understand that could we reason our way to God? And could we reason our way to salvation? Could we reason our way through life? Then ultimately, faith doesn't enter the picture. And the reason that God calls for faith is because of who He is. If life were such, and if God were such, that we could comprehend all of that, then God wouldn't be who He is. Or we'd have to be something completely different than we are. Because friends, can the finite comprehend the infinite? No. I'm finite. You're finite. God is infinite. And so there are things about God that we simply are called to take on faith because there's no way possible for us to comprehend Him. His ways are so so far above our ways. As it says in uh, Romans 11, the last few verses there, verse 33 and 34, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Anybody here who's comprehended the mind of the Lord? No. Anybody who's tried to be his counselor? Yeah, probably most of us have at one time or another. But have we we been up to the task? No. No. In God's infinite wisdom, He knows what we need. And He knows how to meet our needs. And it takes faith on our part to accept that. Hebrews 11 verse 6, speaking uh, to the point that we cannot just reason our way to God. Hebrews 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to come to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are times, there are circumstances, when we are simply going to have to move forward on faith. You know, we, as we walk with the Lord, we see his, that his way works. And we've tried it. And we've gone through situations where, you know, it, it didn't look like God's way would work when we entered into it, but we decided, okay, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to do what He says in, in regard to this situation in response to it. And it does turn out to be a blessing. 
But then again, in our humanity, we come up against more situations as we go on in life and we have these questions, really, is, is this really going to turn out? Is God really who He says He is? And God calls us to exercise faith in relation to that. God's wisdom so far exceeds ours that we are often incapable of recognizing till later what he has been accomplishing in a given situation. And so our faith is not misplaced even when we can't comprehend. That's when faith needs to come into play. But our faith will never be misplaced when we place it in God. And sooner or later, if we're faithful in responding in faith, we will see that he is a a faithful rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A few other things about uncertainty. As we face the uncertain situations of life, it motivates our search for truth. In John chapter 1, we have the account of Nathaniel there, where... Uh, It slips my mind who went to him now. Andrew, I believe it was. Philip. Philip found Nathanael and said, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael had a doubt. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Uncertainty moved Nathaniel to search for truth. Is this really who Philip says he, he is? And he was rewarded in that search. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith of him, Behold, behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. So uncertainty moved him to seek truth. And uncertainty should move us to seek the truth as well. You know, there are times when several options present themselves in relation to a situation. And it can be difficult sometimes to discern what is God's way and what is, you know, a good, humanly reasonable alternative. It may look sound, it may sound sound, but maybe it isn't quite as sound as we'd like to think it is. It takes discernment in relation to that. And so we need to be seekers of the truth. We can't just look for the comfortable way. If we look for the comfortable way, It's not going to take much faith, but it's not going to lead us to God either. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Comfort is the one thing that is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not find either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, being on the side of truth is not always a comfortable thing simply because we have an enemy. We have an enemy who opposes walking in truth. And we find ourselves in circumstances at times that where there is opposition to walking in truth and to standing for truth. And sometimes it's not immediately comfortable because of what it requires of us. 
walking in truth often uh, takes a high price from us, and we must be willing to pay that. But God always is on the side of truth. There's a little poem that goes like this. Though the cause of evil prosper, yet tis truth alone tis strong. Though her portion be the scaffold, and upon the throne be wrong. Yet the scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch upon his own. So sometimes it does seem like truth is on the scaffold. It's going to be done away with. Yet that scaffold sways the future, because behind the dim unknown is God keeping watch or his own. Our faith is never misplaced when it's placed in the truth of God and of his word. Uncertainty can also expand our understanding of God. Job struggled with understanding what God was doing. Job struggled with doubts to some extent. Like, God, this isn't fair. This, this just isn't the way I know you. And he finally came to the place of pleading for an audience with God. And he asked questions of God. But we note again the infinite, transcendent being of God in relation to his response to Job. God's response to Job's appeal for, an hearing, for, for a hearing was not an explanation of what Job was going through. Rather, God's response to Job was to ask him a whole lot of questions that Job couldn't answer. If I counted correctly, in uh, chapter thir- chapters 38 to 40, God asked Job 62 questions that Job couldn't answer. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? What are those foundations attached to, uh, fastened to, I, I believe is the word, and, and so on? Can you, you know, enter into the mysteries of the snow and, and all of those things? Things that Job couldn't answer. Why did God respond that way? It was to show Job God's infinity and God's transcendence. And that there are some things that we simply must leave in the hands of God because he's God. And he understands, he has wisdom that so far excels ours that some things are simply beyond what we are able to grasp. <clears throat> Job's response then to those questions, we find that, uh, that in Job's, Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40 and verses 3 and 4. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. So Job was already seeing his, his smallness. And then God went on to ask even more questions, somewhat ironically in relation to Leviathan and so on in chapter 41. And then in 42, the first part of the chapter, we find Job's response continued. Then Job answered, the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth, hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful, wonderful for me which I knew not. And he goes on then. But Job began to understand that he had been going into territory that belonged to God, territory that simply needs to be taken by faith. And, and was ready to 
submit himself to God in that way. And Job was ultimately rewarded with a view of God that he hadn't had before. And that's, in essence, what he's saying here. As he says, he uttered things that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. And as we respond to God in faith, God will ultimately continue to reveal himself to us as well. That's one of the rewards of a walk of faith. God reveals his nature. God reveals his omniscience, his omnipotence, his wisdom, his control over all things. And we are blessed as we, as we do that. <clears throat> so when we are tempted to doubt, let's remind ourselves that a contradiction in our minds does not equal a contradiction in God or in God's word. It's very likely that we're just a little too small to quite comprehend what God is doing what God is going to accomplish in a particular situation. Uncertainty can also strengthen our faith. It can expand our understanding of God. It can also strengthen our faith. As we have the opportunity to witness God showing his faithfulness again and again and again as we go through life and as we look back through history, it is an opportunity to strengthen our faith. You know, David's response when Goliath was there threatening Israel, David volunteered to do it, and Saul called him in, you know, well, you know, you're just a little guy, how can you handle this, is basically what Saul said to him. And David referred back to the faithfulness of God. Yes, an uncertain situation was before him in some respects of the word, but he knew who God was. And he said, the same God who delivered me out of the, out of the paw of the lion and the bear... That God will deliver Goliath into my hand. And so those situations that bring uncertainty, as we are faithful, as we respond in faith, those very situations can strengthen our faith. And I believe that's uh, partly what it's talking about in James chapter 1 as well, that we should welcome the trial of our faith and uh, not be discouraged by that. I'd like to refer refer to a few other examples. We're not going to take time to go into detail on these. But those of great faith, as cataloged in Hebrews 11, were people who lived through situations that lent themselves to doubt. But they chose faith. Abraham was one of them. It says there, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. Now how many of you would be ready to get in your vehicle because God told you to get into it and start driving because God told you to start driving but you're, you're not sure what the final destination is. That essentially is what Abraham did. But he responded in faith. You know, doubt looks so reasonable. Faith often looks unreasonable. But faith is never disappointed and doubt always will be. Then there was the promised son that it talks about there in Hebrews 11 as well. Abraham waited years for the fulfillment of that promise. It didn't look like it could possibly happen. But Abram didn't stumble through unbelief. But rather he had faith. 
And then God called him after all those years, all that waiting, all that anticipation, all the fruition he was looking forward to in the birth of that son. God calls him to take that son and offer him on a mountain. End of promise. End of all that God had said. By human reasoning. Abraham had plenty of opportunity to doubt there. But again, he was willing. And as it says there in Hebrews 11, he accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. So, friends, faith is not always going to be a reasonable thing at all. But at the same time, we serve a God who is faithful. Mention is made of Joseph in Hebrews 11. You know, God gave him those dreams when he was a young man about how his family would be bowing down to him and so on. And Joseph, no doubt, had great aspirations of doing great things for God. He didn't know at that point how it would come to pass, but he knew that he was destined for something. And all of those dreams come crashing down one day when Joseph's brothers strip him of his robe, throw him into a pit, plan to kill him, and then instead decide to make a little money off of him and sell him to the Ishmaelites. And down to Egypt he goes, a slave rather than a ruler. Doesn't look good. But you know what the Bible says again and again through the story of Joseph? The Lord was with Joseph. You see, God had a plan that was beyond Joseph's comprehension. And he served, he served um, Potiphar there faithfully for a number of years. Could have, could have been as long as ten years according to my understanding of the scriptural timeline. And he began to move up. And he got to the point where he was in charge of the estate. Potiphar didn't even keep track of what was on the books. It, it says that Potiphar, all he knew was that he had bread on his table. He, he entrusted everything to Joseph. And it might have looked like, oh, my dream is beginning to take shape here. But God let that all come crashing down again. And Joseph finds himself falsely accused and in prison. Now he's even below a slave. He's a prisoner. Doubts no doubt presented themselves, but Joseph stayed faithful. And the Lord was with Joseph. And you know the rest of the story how the Lord worked mightily in Joseph's life. But the point is, friends, that the plans that we have for our lives or the plans that we sometimes think that God has for our lives might be more of our own dim comprehension of what God wants to do in us and through us. And it takes faith. To simply let God have his way. To let God use the circumstances of life to shape us. To let God use the circumstances of life to direct us. To let God simply have his way. It takes faith to move forward with God. We have Moses there also. He obviously sensed the calling to lead his people as well. He rejected the the things that Egypt uh, offered to him. And he was very desirous of helping his people. And he set out to do that to the best of his his ability. 
and ended up fleeing into the desert for 40 years. Now where was the great plan that he had? But God had a greater plan. So let's have faith even when God seems to contradict himself or when we can't serve him in the way that we would like to serve him. I'm going to end with a few quotes yet. No heart is as whole as a heart that has been broken and no faith is as solid as a faith that has been shaken. I think there's a lot of truth in that. We have to go through the test. We have to be willing to choose faith when it's difficult to do that in order to become solid in our faith. And God continues to develop our faith as we move forward with him. Often our mountaintop moments are connected with our lowest valleys. And as we look at, as we think of the examples that we just looked at in the scriptures, we see there's truth in that. They had to go through the valleys in order to get to the mountaintops. And God often takes us on the same type of journey. Another quote, Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. You know, it's pretty easy oftentimes to say yes to to the Lord when the lights are on, so to speak, in life. We can see our way. Yeah, you know, this, this is going to work. And so we move forward with the Lord and all's good. But then the lights go out, so to speak, and all of a sudden we're not quite sure even what the next step is. But never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. Because God doesn't change just because our circumstances have. A quote from Martin Luther. I know not where he leads me, but well do I know my guide. I know not where he leads me, but well do I know my guide. And may that be the expression of all of us. That we know our guide. We may not know where he leads us. We may not know... What all, uh, what all is ahead in life? But we know our guide. We have faith in him, and we will not uh, linger behind him in doubt, but rather walk closely with him. Isaiah 50 and verse 10 says this: Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. So when you find yourself in darkness and you don't have light, trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon your God because God is faithful. Shall we kneel to pray?